0: It is good to be here, isn't it? It has been good to witness the baptism of Vahid and and it is good if you're visiting. I want to say it's like this every week. We don't have a baptism every week, but a lot of the rest of it is quite similar. Uh, The chaos, the children screaming, uh, the worship of God uh, with this uh, collection of people, and we're glad that you're with us. We are in week two of a series looking at the Bible's pictures, God's descriptions of the church, of what the church is. Last week, Ian Fenton spoke to us about the church as family. And this week, we're looking at the church as body, or as a body, or as the body. Couldn't describe, so we're sticking with body. The church as body. And the picture of the church as a body is about belonging. Whether it's Taylor Swift or for those slightly older, Jennifer Warner, our pop stars and our pop songs reflect the desire that humanity has to belong. To belong to someone else or for someone else to belong to us. To belong to a community, a group of people who affirm us, where we fit in, where we well where we belong. God tells us that the church, the people, not the building, is like a body. So that we might know that we belong. We're going to look under three headings. Just at this idea of the picture of the church as a body. The first one is to say the church is defined by belonging. When Vaheed and Mehdi were baptized just a few minutes ago, there were two declarations being made. Their declaration about following Jesus, they said we belong to Jesus because of what he has done for us. But there was also a declaration by Ian on behalf of us as a church to say that Vaheed and Mehdi belong to us as a church. We as a church baptised them. It would have been impractical for us of all to have got in the water. We would have needed a much bigger pool. But we were saying we have heard your profession. We have seen your life. We know that you are following Jesus. And so you belong to us and we belong to you. The Bible talks about belonging in the, under these two categories and it uses this picture of the body to help us understand. Let's first think about the category of belonging to Jesus. Another part of the Bible, not the bit that we've just read, a book called Ephesians, talks about how Jesus Christ is the head of the church and it says then the church his body of which he is the savior he goes on to talk about how Jesus for his body gave himself up for her and then he cleaned her or cleansed her by the washing of water through the words loving her as himself feeding her caring for her that passage is a talking about marriage and makes the comparison between a husband and wife and Jesus and his church, his body. But we hear the words there, that as Jesus looks at the people who profess faith in him, he owns them as his, as his own. They are so close to him, so joined to him, he can say of them... They are my body. The Bible talks also and tells us of a man called Saul. A man who was attacking and arresting and even killing members of the earliest church. And Jesus meets this man. As this man is going off to seek permissions to to, to go and arrest more Christians. And Jesus says to this man, why do you persecute me? Now this man, Saul, has not done anything physically to Jesus. Actually the Bible tells us that Jesus is in heaven. He's not even physically on earth anymore when he says these words. This man, Saul, had never laid a finger on Jesus and yet Jesus says to him, why do you persecute me? When you arrest and when you attack and when you seek the lives of my people, Jesus takes it personally. He feels the hurt and the weight of those actions of Saul and says to him, why do you persecute Me. That's how intimately connected Jesus is with his people. He is the head of the body. He is connected to it. The body belongs to him. He has purchased it and by it I mean them and by them I mean us. Men and women whom Jesus has joined to himself through his death on the cross dying for their sins taking their wrongdoing upon himself and then as he rises to new life blessing them with that new resurrection life the church is a body and that body belongs to Jesus but the church is a body and that means that if you're part of the church you also belong to to the rest of the body in the same way that as you look down now whether you're holding a bible or looking at your phone your fingers are connected to your hands and your hand is connected to your arm and I'm going to stop before I start singing a song I can see people are humming along it's like yeah we belong to the church belongs to each other in a world before complex machinery and before cars and computers, what greater picture of connectivity could have been given to the church than the human body? You don't need to have studied, studied human biology to understand how in amazingly complex and connected our bodies are. Think how many th- different things are going on when you cut your foot as your eyes see the cut and maybe the blood seeping out of it and the way that your body sends the message through something's wrong it sends the, the, the the through the nerve system pain do something and so maybe you then move your leg to lift it up so that the bleeding gets lesser and then you put more weight on your other leg and so on and so forth a passage that Rachel read to us earlier, spoke of a belonging to each other that is so connected that when one part of the body suffers, every part suffers. And when one part is honoured, every part rejoices. The church is a body made up of individuals who belong to Jesus who have been brought together to be part of a bigger organism working together supporting and being supported to achieve the goal set out for them by Christ the church is not like a machine that can be broken down and stored in separate places no the church is like a body that when it's sick Either it all goes into work or school or none of it does. You can't send your legs into work whilst your brain stays at home. Although. (laughs) This is the church. We belong to one another. Joined together through relationship, through circumstance, through commitment ultimately joined together because we are all joined to Jesus through his death and resurrection. And when we come to know Christ for ourselves, as we've heard from Medi and Vahit, and when we put our trust in him, we don't just become joined to him, we become joined to his people. There is no Christian that is not connected to the body. So if the church is a body, what does that look like? Let's think secondly about the church marked by unity and diversity. If we were to look into a textbook, a biology textbook at the human body, or you're to search it on Google, or you could pull up some key facts about the body. I got far too distracted doing this earlier this week did you know there is anywhere between 60 to 100,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body and depending on which website you're on that means that if you laid them out end to end you could go around the globe three or four times maybe you know that there are 206 bones in the human body so medical staff are nodding at me but apparently when you're born there's something more like 300 and then they some of them join together let's put aside for a second all of the other different parts of the bodies all the muscles and organs and all the rest of it just think about those 206 bones and think about the difference that there is in those bones the difference in shape the difference in size the different difference in function the long leg bones the tiny ear bones The ones that are flatter, the ones that are curved, the ones that work together. That's what the church should look like. Made up of many, many different things, different people. Let me just turn you back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 12. And we'll read from verse 12, just a couple of verses. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is made up not of one part, but of many. As we look round the church, the local church, our church, we should not expect everybody to be like us. Although sometimes maybe we do. The church is like a body there are arms and legs, there are ears and noses. Nose, singular. There are eyes and thighs, there are bones and muscles, joints and organs. And those words that Paul writes to the church in the first century describes a group of people of different ethnic backgrounds, different economic statuses. There are men and women. There are British people. There are African people. There are even Australians. There are rich people and poor people. There are peasants and maybe even royalty. Well, I'm not sure we've got any royalty here this afternoon. But there was a wonderful example, wasn't there? In the Queen's funeral on Monday. I don't know if you heard the words of the Archbishop of Canterbury as he described the Queen as our dear sister. That's an incredible description, isn't it, of the Queen? Somebody who I would say I've got virtually nothing in common with. And in every single way it seems to me she's better and greater in wealth and status and power. Our dear sister. Equal terminology for the woman who reigned over our nation and much else beside for the majority of her long life. Completely different. And yet, completely equal. In the church. So, as we look round and expect to see all these differences, we can begin to think, "Oh, well, if we'll struggle to to get on if we're so different." But whilst the church is made up of all these different things, it's completely equal and completely united. Let me read a few verses just before the reading that we had from verse 4. This passage is about a a situation going on the church, about gifts. Paul says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. We so look out across the church, we will see people of all sorts of differences who have been called and who are being worked in and through by the same God. The triune God, Spirit and Son, the Lord, that is Christ, and God the Father. we say that the church is a diverse group of people we know in our culture that's something that everybody is going to go yes that's what we want diversity we want diversity in every area of life and the church ought to celebrate its differences but as we look at the church that diversity is drawn together and defined by the God's of the gospel the God who sees each and every individual person and who calls them all to himself there's not one person who's in the church because they are good enough there's not one person in the church who made the decision to seek God first every person in the church is not good enough for God has failed to meet his standards and every single person in the church would never have turned to God if God had not first turned to them. He reminded us, didn't he, that verse from Romans: "While we were still sinners, Christ died for us." That is true not just of one believer, but of every believer, united under the gospel, united in our status of dependence upon Christ from first to last and so when we look at the diversity in the church we see that it is governed by the guidelines given by God it is a good diversity we don't get to say that all diversity is good this church in Corinth was a church struggling with pride even to the point Of celebrating sexual deviance. And Paul has written to them and said to them that's not the sort of diversity that is good. A diversity that goes against God's will and against God's revealed command. So diversity in holiness is not an option that's given to the church. But diversity in gifts, diversity in character, diversity in circumstance, diversity in background. Yeah, all of these things. The body is diverse but united in Christ, for Christ, shaped by the will of Christ. The church is a body. Diverse and yet unified because of Jesus So if the church is these two things, I thirdly want to just stop and think about us. In our third point, our church must be aware of these dangers. There are two. The danger, firstly, of thinking too little of yourself. Just look down again at verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand... I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body. We've already mentioned that this church in Corinth had a, 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 an image, a body image problem of its own. There was a battle going on in this church, and at the heart of it is pride. They wanted to be impressive. They wanted to be known. And loved and admired. And there were factions and groups in the church gathering around different leaders. And into that situation. And a church like that. Paul recognises that there will be people who will say. I'm not sure I'm part of this. I'm not sure I belong because. Because look at all these impressive people. Look at all these wonderful body parts who do such amazing things. And look at the way that our church culture says, Wow, look at this guy. Look at him. Look at her. And I'm not that person. Two different scenarios Paul gives, which place the words, I do not belong into the mouths of apparently less important body parts. I don't belong because I'm not a hand, says the foot. I don't belong because I'm not an eye, says the ear. And maybe we could fit in our own answers for what those body parts represent. Some of us are more prone to thinking that we are lesser. There are people who maybe have natural less, uh, sorry, less natural self-confidence, but Paul speaks into them, and maybe it's you, as you sit there and think, "I don't belong to the body. I'm not that important. Nobody would miss me if I wasn't here." I'm not crucial to this church being successful. I don't have a voice that can speak from the front. I don't have this gift or that gift. I'm not like the majority of people here. Notice what the Bible and God speaks into this situation. Being different doesn't make them not belong end of verse 16 if the ear should say because I am not an eye I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body it's not true that you don't belong whatever you think if you're following Jesus you belong and so it's not true to say I don't belong And notice, secondly, being different doesn't make them less important. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. Paul says, it's not good for everybody to be the same. That's not a church. It's not a body. Can you imagine if everybody was an eye? This one great big giant eye, very good at seeing things, but not very good at being able to speak about what it sees. It's almost humorous, isn't it? And yet we can fall into the trap of believing that's what the church ought to be. Everybody ought to be like whatever gift or whatever type of person, or whatever background. It's not good for everyone to be the same. Thirdly, being different doesn't make them unnoticed by God. In fact, it's just the opposite. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's wrong to think that you don't belong because you feel less valuable either because you don't have what you value or because you don't think that other people value you or you don't have what other people value i feel as though what paul and what god wants to say to us is are you shy god placed you in his church you haven't got much english god placed you in his church if you're weak, God placed you in his church. You can never stand up the front and be a public speaker. God wants you here. You're young. God wants you here. You're old. God wants you here. Not just for your good, but for our Good. where would we be without you we would not be a functioning body we might be a giant eye or a giant ear Maybe be able to do one thing really well but utterly useless for everything else as soon as we start to recognise that the church is a body We need to recognise that we have a place in it. Maybe you've already, in these past few minutes, done that thing where you've gone, which body part am I? Whatever the answer is, whatever you think you are, God says that you are here for your good and for our good. However unimportant you might think yourself to be, however unimpressive you might feel yourself to be compared to other people, God reminds us of our value and our need. You belong to him. And you belong to us. So there is the danger of thinking too little of yourself. And then secondly, the danger of thinking too little of other people. There was a second statement that Paul can hear being said in the church and it goes like this i don't need you it's got a tone of condescension looking down the eye cannot say to the hand i don't need you and the head cannot say to the feet i don't need you on the contrary those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable Paul can imagine a situation where some in the church look down on other people and think, you're not that important. I don't need you. Looking down on people who are less outwardly impressive and thinking, if not saying, yeah, we could take or leave you. How ugly is that? How unchristlike that people bearing the name of Jesus might so utterly miss the love that he has for his people, for his body, that they might miss his love for the unlovely. How he laid aside his glorious majesty to serve sinners, to rescue wretches. He who ate with tax collectors, who touched the diseased, who went outside of the camp for the outsider. For his people to say to anyone in the church, I don't need you, is wicked. Isn't it? It betrays an arrogance, but maybe also a blindness. Arrogance for thinking too much of ourselves, that we are impressive, that if we were not here then the church would really struggle. Maybe especially for us in our context, the things that we hold most highly and firmly, the gifts that play into being a church that is focused on God's word and teaching God's truth. If you have one of those roles, one of those gifts, perhaps you are most at danger at looking at other people. With this condescending, wicked thought. But maybe it's just blindness. Blindness at seeing how God works. God, throughout the history of mankind, as we read it in the Bible, as we see it in the world, does not take the impressive and the strong he doesn't be the the kid in the school playground and say who do I want on my team who's the best no God over and over again takes the worst and the weak and the wicked he saves them and redeems them 1 Samuel chapter 16 tells us that man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on the heart 2 Corinthians 4, same le- uh, another letter from the same man to the same church, tells us that the church has the treasure of the gospel, not in impressive outward circumstances, but in jars of clay, weak and vulnerable. Hear the words of god to us on the contrary those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor let us not fall into the trap of thinking too little of other people and we could talk in all sorts of ways about practically what that means for our church There's an implication there for those of us in roles of leadership at whatever level in the church. That we would not just look out for those that are impressive, but we would look out for the weakest and the worst. And that we would love them and honour them. That we would look out for the shy and the stranger. Whether that's in youth groups, or Sunday ministry with the kids, or for the elders of the church, in our life groups. We dare not have this attitude. And we also ought to recognize that there is a danger here for us, any of us, if we find ourselves in the church in the majority In any circumstances. So if you're in the majority of people who used to be here. Before this church started exploding for the past few months. Or if you're in the majority of people who have good English. Or if you're in the majority of the people because of the colour of your skin. There is a special danger for you. For us. That we might look down on other people and think. We don't need you. On the contrary, the weak, the minority are indispensable as parts of the body of Christ, the church. We have to check our motives in our relationships with one another, even to the point of where we sit on a Sunday. Am I driven by self-concern? self-promotion, self-service or am I honouring those that might be weak or vulnerable or just less impressive in whatever way? Our church has changed significantly over the last few months, over the last year and there are so many reasons for us to give thanks to God for his grace and his kindness to us, his body but we have to beware of these dangers because we are still very much from whoever you think the most impressive person is in this church to whoever might be the least impressive. And if we are honest, I think we'd all place ourselves far further down than other people would place us. We have the call to love and to honour God's people. And to see God's good purpose in such diversity. And sometimes that'll be hard work. And sometimes that'll be costly. But this is God's purpose to do us good. In fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Maybe you're here and you're looking in from the outside at church. I would hope that as you look at our church, imperfect as we are, you would see something good in God's design. Something that the world cannot match. Because our call to love one another, our call to belong to one another is not an economic decision it's not a comfort decision it's a decision that reflects what god has done for us we are christ's body and we would love to speak to you more and show you more what jesus has done for us i'm going to pray and then we're going to sing to close out our time father we ask your forgiveness Lord, where we have already maybe fallen into those dangers. Lord, of thinking that we are not valuable. Of thinking too little of ourselves. Not that we're impressive, but not believing that you have called us to be a vital part of your people. Forgive us for where we have thought that other people are not valuable. Lord, that we might have thought them dispensable. Lord, how wicked that is. Thank you that you have not treated us, Lord, in such a way. You could have rightly dispensed with us. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. And we thank you for it. And we pray, Lord, that you would grow us as your body here in Rotherham. Lord, that you would grow your body of a church universal. Father, that we truly would stand out in our love and concern for one another. And that we might show the world something of Jesus. Father, help us now to encourage one another and love one another as we sing. To you, our great and glorious God, as your church, as your body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.